Hello and welcome to Mad Ideas. I'm your host, Sky Joiner. That's a Sky S K Y, not Scott, and it's drawn from the old Upper Proto Dutch name Ska Jibba. <laughs> uh, every week here on Mad Ideas. We argue for an idea so ridiculous, so mind-bending, that no one could possibly believe in it. Well, except whoever those people are who post in the comments section of your local paper's website. Today's Matt Idur, use atrocious grammar. All one hears from elite, pipe-smoking academics these days, with their tweed jackets and horses and good dental coverage, is how texting and social media are ruining our communicative abilities. Kids these days are snap-dicking away, oblivious to contraction, syntax, rhetoric, or just how talk good. Not only do English speakers refuse to learn a second language, these fancy pants claim, we can barely speak English as it is. Then they come down here to Alabama, claim that y'all and ain't and peckerheads aren't real words. I'm just kidding. They don't come to Alabama. But what if bad was good? What if bad grammar wasn't actually that atrocious as it seemed? To begin, what is grammar? Long story short, if you don't know what grammar is, then you're too fucking stupid for this show. But one thing's for sure. Our collective grammatical skills are truly atrocious. And the problem resonates far beyond simple misspellings or the inability to properly apostrophe possessives. Grammar competency uh, correlates with literacy level. If you read read deep and often, then your grammatical ability will reflect that. If a grown adult can't explain the difference between your possessive and your you are, a skill that should reasonably taught by first or second grade, it's a pretty damn good indicator that they don't read much, if at all. No read, no have the smarts. Period. And literacy levels are a huge indicant of future successes. Two-thirds of students who cannot read proficiently by fourth grade end up in jail or on welfare. 85% of all juveniles who interface with the juvenile court system are functionally illiterate. A full 100% of society cannot understand Finnegan's Wake. If they say they can, they are lying. But even the incoherent Marvel garble that is Joyce's most self-indulgent text isn't nearly as crazy as those statistics about kids. Kids! Nobody anywhere wants to not have the societal tools that will help them succeed. Kids, less than anyone. But, <laughs> of course, that's an actual problem. And so not at all what the opinion blogs mean when they talk about quote-unquote 
bad, atrocious grammar. Now, the prevailing argument amongst non-doomsdayers is that kids today do read text, just in smaller chunks from multiple sources. Like, you know, the 3,339 text a month that, on average, teens send to one another. 3,339 text. What do you possibly have to say that requires 3,000 text? You're teenagers. Fucking Heidegger didn't waste that much breath on tedious bullshit. Oh, and it's even more insane when you realize half of those texts are LOL or the single letter K. But even if, and that's a big if, teens do read the same amount of words, there's a clear qualitative difference between a text message and book text. Chekhov never wrote dialogue like, Do you like Stese? Why does Stese like me? I don't know, maybe. Haha, <laughs> lol, you're too dumb. No, but for reals. Riveting. Plus, statistically speaking, I'd wager dick pics made up at least a third of all text message correspondence. PSA for teenage boys and men who obviously never progress past that stage, stop sending pictures of your penis. If you do it too much, they'll make you a U.S. senator. And it doesn't matter how compelling any argument you possess is if, when you write it down, it's riddled with errors. If it is, then people will justifiably dismiss it out of hand. Because, again, it demonstrates you have not done the requisite reading and thinking before forming your opinion. You, uh, you want me learn you what me mean? Okay. You're your and it's it's. When do you add an apostrophe? Okay, here's a little magic trick. The apostrophe means you add a letter. When you write U apostrophe R-E, then it's because you add an A. You are U A-R-E. And with it apostrophe S, you add an I. It is. Ta-da! Rocket science. And stop going so far that you're adding it randomly to words that just end in S. It's... This is not Russian roulette. There are rules, damn it. Or, okay, how about this tricky trio? There for place, there for contraction, and there the plural possessive. Okay, listen closely. There is there, like over there, and then there's there, like their bag over there, and then there is there, as in there their bags over there. Got it? Also, there's a fourth secret there, but... You only unlock that if you get a doctorate. Any subject. Geography. Uh, another hard one for folks. Uh, two, 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 two. Easy peasy. Two is a preposition expressing motion or indication. Two is an adverb signifying a degree or an addition. Two is the amount of times I've done your mom. Two is the Spanish etymological root of tutaloo. And two is the obsolete transitive verb for working leather by beating. 
just like they told you in school. Ah, and here's a classic. A lot, a lot. It's basically just a space lot. A lot, one word, is not a word. <laughs> but honestly, I'm over that battle. Let's just give up and combine them like we did with the spork. Now, uh, let's see. What else? Ah, uh, there's effect with an A and effect with an E. Uh, yeah, I have no idea. You'll have to Google that one. Oh, okay, okay. Here's one I've got down. Subject-verb agreement. Subject, of course, means subject to the crown, and verb is the Vietnamese translation for king. So, basically, it means always agree with the monarchy. There's more, of course, but uh, none of us can undo a decade of subpar schooling in a single podcast. The question now is, how could atrocious grammar be acceptable? And here is the nitty-gritty. There is no good or bad grammar. Languages are organic. They're not machines with preset rules and logical schematics. They develop naturally and evolve to fit new circumstances, like the dodo. Nope. Nope. That. Okay. As soon as it came out. I, that's a bad example. Like the woolly mammoth. Nope. Nope, they died too, didn't they? Yeah, okay. Regardless, the point is that grammar is a living, breathing organism. And what's crazy is that uh, grammar, evidently like elected representatives showing off their genitalia, is an ungovernable impulse. Of course, there's a lot that delves into that when it comes to linguistics. Linguists like to throw around phrases like diachronic, declension, morpheme, titicaca, because linguists like to pretend they're scientists. Linguists be like, my office doesn't belong in the humanities wing. The bottom line, however, is that language changes as we change to fit our needs. And... Nothing demonstrates this better than English. The English language is a genuine grade-A clusterfuck. For millennia, English has been bastardized beyond recognition. We're talking about a clusterfuck going back to when the warlike Anglo-Saxon tribes brought their West Germanic language to the Celtic shores. Then, we're talking about mixing all that business up with the lexicon of Latin words courtesy of the Roman Empire first, and then the Catholic Church later. Then, take that hodgepodge, slop it all around with the spoken tongue of the North invaders in uh, 878 AD. Get a real messy. Get a real frothy. No, you can't, can't eat the batter before we cook it. Done? Not even close. Boom! A couple centuries later, and the Norman Conquest transforms the language, submerging it in High French. Welcome to Middle English, y'all. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, what's that? 15th century? You say you've got more? A great vowel shift where all the vowels are suddenly pronounced differently, and thus all the words too? Well, 
slap a quill right out of Fryer's fat fingers and call me fucking done. English is barely even English. Because of its history, we use a dual Franco-Anglo-Saxon lexicon for the exact same things. And because the vocabulary of the former belonged to the uh, French-speaking ruling class, we still, centuries later, use French-derived words for the fancier and more refined. Venison, veal, uh, purchase, fraternal. And we use the equivalent Germanic for the visceral, rather than venison, deer. Calf instead of veal, buy instead of purchase, and brotherly in place of fraternal. We also use Latin for the official, uh, philosophic, and the sterile. Quid pro quo, uh, a priori, in absentia, per se. And then for contrast, compare how detached the Latin phrase cardiac arrest feels uh, in comparison to the more personal and direct of the Germanic heart attack. There's a ton of other influential lexicons, too, there's um, Arabic words by way of the Moorish rule of Spain, such as guitar, giraffe, algebra, assassin, and uh, a ton of Spanish words, too, obviously. I uh, personally like burrito, both as a word and a lifestyle. And more, there's a whole slew of Old Norse words. Uh, berserk, saga, skate, skirt, maybe fuck? In fact, only 10 to 20% of the language today has Old English roots. And believe it or not, in many ways, modern English is much closer to modern Scandinavian languages than it is to Old English. And much, much more top that. Like I said, a clusterfuck. Just take a look at our verbs. For a past tense, some change eternally. Fed, feed catch called, uh, some add ed, such as walk walked, love loved, some change pronunciation, such as read read, some change in ending letter, bend bent, say said, and some don't even change at all, bet bet, cost cost, quit quit, hurt hurt, <laughs> by the way, that's my, um, Terrible new hit pop song coming out. Bet, bet, cost, cost, quit, quit, hurt, hurt. <laughs> and uh, like the syntax, our verbs also behaved totally different at different periods of the English language. Go look at Chaucer, and you'll find we had numerous types of verb endings. Uh, e, est, eth, n. Like some kind of fucking romance language. Oh, man. Before the Middle English period, we even... Uh, okay, and if any kids are listening, please, cover their ears. We even used to have gendered nouns. You heard me right. Gendered nouns. Oh, that's how confusing that the English language really is. Just imagine learning it as your second language. Uh, excuse me. Why does none of this make any sense? Because English is not a language. It is a hobbled-together mass of limbs and body parts drooling on its way to scare the shit out of some villagers. So, texting 
probably won't mess it up too bad. There's also the argument that uh, texting actually mimics spoken and not written speech. And there is admittedly a huge difference. But so what? It is in written format regardless. And if it, along with social media, constitutes the bulk of a teen's communication, then won't that still produce adverse effects? Either with an A or an E, you'll have to Google it, uh, on spelling and on their grammar? Well, the truth is that because we lack any real substantive scientific studies, yes, 100%, unquestionably, yes. But, you know what, so what if it does anyway? Up until recently, we had zero standardized spelling. Go back to Chaucer again and look at his spellings. The same words are literally spelled different, like the next sentence over. And, y'all, really, go read Chaucer. He is super fun and super body. For example, in the Miller's Tale, the uh, clerk Absalom is at Allison's window trying to get a smooch. And Chaucer uh, writes, <laughs> I'm going to butcher this, but as long as you get the idea. Dirk was the nightest pitch, or as a coal, and out the window out she put her hole, and Absalon him fell no bet no worse, but with his mouth he kissed her naked arse. <laughs> but wait, Absalon thinks as he unwittingly smooches Allison's asshole, that can't be right. Why? Because, and I quote, a woman hath no beard. <laughs> also, that scene is followed by a fart joke. Uh, but, back on topic. For spellings, it was all phonetic. And because English words have such diverse origins, you could have the same word spelled a bajillion different ways in the exact same text, uh, even outside Chaucer. And you did. You see it in uh, Shakespeare, too. Or anyone pre-19th century, really. But then, one day, one man dared talk good. Noah fucking Webster. Ladies, cool your nethers. Noah Webster saw all these inconsistencies and went, Oh, hell no. So what did my man Noah Webster do? Reformed the English language. <laughs> A big part of his aesthetic vision was uh, choosing more logical, less wasteful spellings. And the flip side to that vision was his hope to shape a uniquely American style of writing for the then young country. That's right. He is the reason that Americans and Brits spell things differently. That extra U, like in color and humor, be gone with ya. That extra K at the end of the words like Muzak or Public. No more. After Noah, things were set in stone. But before you go off on, oh, well, now everything's standardized, we should be even harder on teens fucking up our language. We should first take a look at some of uh, Noah's other spellings that didn't catch on. There's a spelling for tongue, uh, T-U-N-G, which, 
the public just flat out rejected. Uh, we also had women, W-I-M-M-E-N, also a no-go, along with my personal favorite, machine, which was spelled mash-een, like M-A-S-H-E-E-N. Uh, and for the word music, he originally just wanted to use the print symbol. Early Americans were really into prints. The point, though, is that even uh, though some of Noah's spellings were more logically sound, they didn't catch on, because languages are dodos. And the English language, as always, is evolving. Uh, for instance, speaking personally, everyone has decided to stop using punctuation, and in ways which I understand zero about, we're somehow supposed to flirt solely using emoticons. Hmm. But there is some good news about bad grammar. Now, it's easy to tell who's an idiot or not. It used to be you had to have an actual conversation to, you know, scope someone out. But now, you can read their Facebook comments about how Kanye West is the head of the Illuminati. And you're like, oh, you're an idiot. I mean, <laughs> why do you think... We even have the word whom. The New Yorker invented it a century ago for one reason and one reason alone. To tell the snooty assholes from the uncultured swine. Why else would we have that stupid word? It is such a pointless, pointless, stupid word. But there is bad news. See, while everyone's being all hyperbolic about upwardly mobile teens whose poor texting skills will have no real consequential bearing on their actual socioeconomic status, they completely overlook the real root of real functional illiteracy. Poverty. No language is threatened by 13-year-olds texting YOLO, or whatever they're texting now. But many 13-year-olds are threatened because poverty robs them of language skills. The texting quote-unquote issue is one of those innumerable manufactured sound bites which exist to fill cable news and distract from the real issue that really affects our communities and our nation's children, creating huge barriers that, as we mentioned earlier, inhibit their successes and stack probabilities against them to create vicious cycles. So... You know, maybe we can stop getting our tidy whities twisted up about uh, teens texting initialisms and, you know, instead fund and participate in literacy programs for vulnerable and at-risk kids. That's, you know, that would be my suggestion. Also, uh, and this is not so important, obviously, but uh, please stop using emoticons. They're confusing, and I don't like them. To me... Anything above a winky face is basically Egyptian hieroglyphics. Thanks for auditorily spelljacking this week's episode. I'm Sky Joyner, and this has been Mad Iders. <laughs>